Well, amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Is God good? Come on, give me some praise. Tell you what, I, I must be honest and tell you that we were in Africa, and uh, we, me, myself, and I, and God, and uh, we, we were in church last Sunday, you know, we were in church every day for like three days, but, but we were in church, and man, those guys were like worshiping like crazy. I mean, they were like, wow, and I told them, I said, you know, I said, I, I will take home with me this joy, this passion that you have to worship. And I wish that we could bring some of that to America. And they all, yeah, amen, amen. But then I experienced today, and it's totally different. But wow, is it good. Amen. I, my heart is so full today. And I just want to say thank you for allowing me to go to Africa. I'm, I tell you, I know you don't know this, I'm a better pastor when I go to Africa. Uh, it just, it's just helps me be a better man here when, I'm, when I get the opportunity to be a man there. So thank you for that freedom. It really was a blessing. And I want to thank Brother Brent for preaching last week, little Dave last week. And I'm not sure who had Wednesday night, but thank you so much for that. And you know, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling The Judgments. And I want to introduce you to a man today uh, via a photograph. And uh, his name is Kevin Carter. If we could get that picture up, Morgan, uh, that'd be a great thing. Um, Ke- there he is, Kevin Carter. Um, Kevin... In 1993, he was a photographer, and he went um, all over South Africa taking pictures. And he was uh, he almost went to jail over some pictures he took in apartheid in South Africa. And so he knew that the Civil War was going on in Sudan. So he wanted to go to uh, southern Sudan and get pictures of the rebels and the fighting that was there. And while he was there... Something else caught his eye, and that was the extreme poverty and hunger that was going on in Sudan. And so in 1993, um, he snapped this picture. And uh, some of you have seen this. It's a very difficult picture. Um, He won the Pulitzer Prize that year for this picture. And the story is a little bit varied in the way it's recorded. But he and another gentleman were, were doing photography of these refugees and they came upon this young girl. It's hard to look at. Excuse me. And about that time, the vulture lands. And she's on her way to a feeding station. She's trying to crawl to a feeding station. And the amazing part is that, that Kevin and his friend stood there for 20 minutes. And this part is not up for debate with their camera up, waiting for the vulture to spread the wings for just the right shot. And uh, the vulture would not raise its wings, and so after 20 minutes, he snapped this picture. And then he um, did shoo the vulture away and walked off. And so after the film, after the picture was made public, New York Times was flooded with uh, requests wanting to know what happened to the child, what happened to the child. And it may be wishful thinking, I just don't know, but it is said they published anyway that they don't know if the child made it to the feeding station, but eventually the child did muster enough energy to stand and walk at least some distance. And so um, the world was shocked. (coughs) And it began to eat at Kevin Carter's mind Not only what he saw, but his response. 
He, um, it bothered him that he did not do anything for the child. And so a year later, um, citing no money, no work, and it's funny because he won the Pulitzer Prize, no work, no money, seeing all that he had saw and his response to this child, he killed himself. The grief, at least partially the grief, of not doing something when he could was too much to live for. So he killed himself. And, and the question I have today is really not, not what Kevin Carter did, but what would you have done? What if it was you, and you were standing there, and that child was there? What would you have done? What would you have done knowing that the official said, do not touch the people because of the risk of disease? And so many did not touch the people because of the risk of disease. What would you have done. And then perhaps a better question is, what did you do today? Because even though this picture is world-renowned, this goes on in this world every day. And Jesus Christ has commanded us that we make a difference in this world. Harrisburg, Illinois, the United States, and this great big world. What would you have done and what did you do? So you might be saying just about now, somewhere in this you're going, okay, so what exactly does this have to do with a series on judgment? It has to do with everything. You know, you've heard the saying that that those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. We will not look in the past, but rather we will look in the future. And there's a wonderful scripture that every one of us probably know from Matthew chapter 25 and starting in verse number 31. And most of us churchy people, those of us who've hung around church a little while, know this story very well, but I want to put it in context today, because that's what we don't normally do, put it in context, and then as, the, as it said, the lesson given. How that, it's so cool. We sometimes take history and bring it to the future, and today we have the opportunity to take the future and bring it to the present. So we want to put this in context, this scripture, and then how can it impact my life Today, how can I become a different person through Christ today? And it's found in Matthew chapter 25. If you haven't taken your Bibles yet, there's a sermon sheet out there somewhere. We'll have the scriptures on the sheet. So this is called the judgment of the sheep and goats. And it begins, and it kind of gives us a timeline of where it's going to happen. Now, let me pause and call a time out here because it's very important you understand something. 
that, that, you know, if I would say that I hope to go to Africa again next year, then that you'd understand that would be my desire, but a whole lot of things could happen that would keep me from going to Africa next year. A lot of things. God's not like that. I, I love it. I, I wrote down, you know, future history. That's the kind of term I made up for this. Because in God's way, that what he says will happen, will happen. You know, we've all, we've all seen movies where it's the X-Men, if you're into X-Men, or one of the superhero movies, or perhaps Star Wars, or, or Star Trek, one of those science fiction movies. And we talk about the fact that you've got to be careful. If you ever jump into the future, you've got to be careful not to change something because you can mess up all the future. Well, here, God has said this, and it is rock solid. And the only thing that could possibly change for us is the application of his amazing grace. And grace has a way of changing everything. Aren't you glad for that? Grace has the amazing way of rewriting our past, recreating our present, and recreating our future. Isn't that amazing? So God has said this, and it's going to happen because he's God. So take that into your heart today. Now we get kind of a picture of where all this happens in verse number 31. The Bible says, when the Son of Man, and that's Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now, now let me just, I was going to call up a map, but Morgan, we won't worry about that. Let me just kind of give you a there's debate of, of all the order of events, but this is kind of like the average person, what they believe. We're in the age of grace right now. This is today. And the next thing on God's calendar of events is something that's called the rapture of the church. The word rapture means to be caught away. And the scriptures clearly teach that one day Christ will come in the clouds and those who are, are uh, dead are going to get resurrected in Christ and those of us who are alive in Christ are going to get taken up. So that's called the rapture, the catching away of the church. And then I know it's like, wow, that's pretty radical. Dude, it is radical. So, so we've got this age of grace and the next thing that happens is this thing called the rapture. And then the Bible says that, that and I think, Brent, I think this is when the judgment seat happens. I think once we get caught up into heaven with Jesus, that's when that judgment seat takes place. But what happens now is seven years of incredible judgment on the earth. The first three and a half are bad, and the next three and a half are really bad. Okay? And it's like, like evil is just turned loose on the earth. It's an incredibly crazy, bad time. But now, amazingly, during that time, all the Christians are taken away. But amazingly, there will be people that do get saved after the rapture. And I, I would not say this about Dorisville. But there's a lot of people in churches today that if the rapture were, happen, were to happen, they would still be here. I've heard it said over and over again that the Sunday after the rapture, churches will be packed. Because there's enough people that have a head knowledge but have never been radically changed by Christ. And they're going to know what's going on. And they will know nothing else to do but pack the churches on Sunday. And those people are going to come to a realization about a fresh realization about Christ and who Christ was and what Christ did. And they're crying out for God's mercy and grace in that horrible time. And they're going to be saved. But it's going to be hard. 
You think now that Christianity is unpopular in America? You don't want to be left behind in here during this tribulation time. As evil just runs rampant. And during that time, Jews will be saved too. Gentiles will be saved and Jews will be saved. And the, and the false prophet, the antichrist, all this evil will just pour their wrath out, one on Christians, but especially so on Jews. It reminds me of the Holocaust. It reminds me how that, that Hitler just hated the Jews and was going to do his best to exterminate them. And that's exactly what's going to happen in tribulation. That, that the false prophet, all this evil is going to be directed at the Jews. And during that time... When the Jews are being hunted down, they can't eat, they can't buy, none of this. Christians, it says, are going, true Christians, are going to reach out to the Jew. And like they did in the Holocaust, they'll hide them, they'll take care of them, and they'll feed them. Carnage everywhere. Martyrs everywhere. People's heads being cut off. Crazy evil. And at the end of seven years, Jesus comes back. You said, now wait a minute, Dwayne. You already said he'd come back. No, 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 no. He came in the clouds. But this time, this time he comes down and places his feet on the Mount of Olives. And he reigns as king. See, he came, come on now. He came as a baby. He lived as a man. He died between two thieves and resurrected on the third day. But when he comes this time, he will come with an iron fist. And he will rule this world with complete authority. Oh, it's going to be good. At the end of that seven years, when Christ comes back, there will be a judgment. And that is called the sheep and the goats or the judgment of the nations. Jesus will systematically determine those who were followers of his that were left behind and were saved after the tribulation or after the rapture and those who did not. And here is going to be the birthmark. Here is going to be the indicator of their faith in Jesus. It won't be how often they went to church. It won't be how much money they were able to scrape together in the crazy economy of those days and gave to a pastor somewhere. It will be how they treated the Jews. And you must understand the high cost and the high risk because during these days, just like the Holocaust, you help a Jew, and you die. Frankly, if you claim Christ, you die. It's really better to get saved and out of here before the tribulation. Let me just tell you, it's a better deal. Get saved and go in the rapture. Don't go through the tribulation. So we're at this end. And when the Bible says that when the Son of Man comes in His glory, this is it. And when it says He came with the angels and sits on His throne of glory, this is it. 
Here's what the Bible says. Verse 32. All the nations. All the nations. Now you say, wait now, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're really telling me that, that Christ is going to gather all the nations? I, that's exactly what I'm telling you. The population will be a lot smaller. Because a lot of people are going to die. But he gathers those living before him. All the nations are gathered before him. And he will separate them one from the other. Just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. So these nations, those who, who survived the tribulation, will be put before Christ. He's physically reigning on the earth. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. Sheep's on this side. Sheep on this side. Goats on this side. Saved on this side. Lost on this side. Those who exercise faith in Christ after the, after the rapture and through the tribulation on this side, those who rejected Christ, the goats on this side. You know, it's funny. When I go to Africa, I have a real problem because the left hand is considered unclean today. Just like it was in that culture 2,000 years ago, the left hand was unclean in that culture, and it is today. And the unclean will be on the left and the righteous will be on the right. Got it kind of clear? Enough to make you want to go home and look up on the internet? Here's what happens. Then the king will say, don't you like that? Not baby Jesus. Not meek and mild shepherd Jesus. Not the bloodied, beat Jesus of the cross. Not even the resurrected Jesus of Easter morning. But the king. The king. The king will say to those on the right, come. Now you remember that word, come. Come you who are blessed. Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What an invitation. You, you've come through the tribulation. You are faithful to Christ. He lines you up on the right and says, now you come. You, you, you who are blessed of my Father. To a kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. And look what he says. He says, because, verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was, now again, understand the, the situation. This is after the tribulation. It's horrible. You couldn't buy food. There was no food available. People were dying. God's wrath is being poured out. The evil is being judged. It's horrible. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Do you see the appropriateness of the response? You know, what do you do for a hungry person? You feed them. You know, what do you do for a thirsty person? You give them something to drink. What about if someone's naked? Well, you give them clothes. When someone's sick, you take care of them. The appropriateness of the response. Oh, oh, if the church would learn the appropriateness of the response. My brothers and sisters, there is an appropriate response today to the world. And if they're lost, they need the gospel. And if they're hurting, what better way to share the gospel than to love them? It's appropriate. It's appropriate. And it comes at high risk and high cost. Possibly their lives. And, and then in verse 37, then the righteous will, will answer him. Those on the right say, well, Lord, when? I think it's so cool. They're clueless. 
You know, I can just see them. They're in line. You know, over here, all the sheep are here. And Jesus is saying this. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was in prison and you fished me. I was naked and you clothed me. And somebody leans over and goes, I don't remember doing that. Hey, Joe, do you remember when Jesus was hungry and we fed him? I mean, I may have helped some of his brethren, his Jews, Jewish brethren, but I don't remember helping him. So, so they say, Lord, when did we do this? When, when, when did we see you hungry and we fed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When we were a stranger and we took you in or clothed and clothed you? When were you sick and in prison and we visited you? When did all this happen, Lord? In Luke chapter 17, I, again, I just love the fact they're clueless. They really don't understand why they're receiving this commendation. In, in Luke chapter 17, I've got to read like several verses to get to what I want. This is Jesus speaking. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will the master not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also. Now listen carefully, church. You need to hear this. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Come on now. That's, can, can we just be honest? Don't, don't when, when, we, when we do something really good, don't we kind of want somebody to go, woo Yeah. What a church. What a pastor. What a teacher. What a deacon. Woo-hoo. Ask you a question. In view of this, in view of that, in view of a bloodied form of a man who hung on that, in view of the Son of God becoming sin, that we could become the righteousness of God, in view of Jesus doing all of it. So that we can do none of it. What our response? What what could our response be? But simply say we're just merely doing what we should do. In view of the cost of the cross. How can we not do it? How can we not reach into our pockets and feed the poor? How can we not serve in judgment house? How can we not give? How can we not worship? How can we not serve? In view of the cross. How can we not? Are we just simply... We're servants whose God, <laughs> whose God loved us enough, they became man and died on a tree. Go figure that out. Why? How could we? How could we poke our chest out and say, look what we've done for what he did? How could we dare not be appreciative? And filled with gratitude. And these folks, they just don't understand it. They go, we don't even remember doing this. And that really should be our attitude. We shouldn't be keeping a list of 10 ways I know I'm good. That's what the king says. The king says in verse 40, well, the king will answer and say, I assure you. Let me tell you the truth, he says. Whatever you did... 
For the one of the least of these, my brothers of mine, you did it for me. When you reached out to that converted Jew and the Antichrist and the false prophet and evil was trying to kill him and you hit him, when he didn't have any food, you fed him. When he was sick, you took care of him. When he had no clean water to drink, you gave him water. When you did that and you did it for them, you did it for me. I guess that means that in a few moments ago, when we walked forward and put money in this pot, and, and Judy, you said that every penny of this is going 80% to the world and 20% to North America. The, no fat cat is going to get any of this. No, no advertising costs. Oh, come on now, folks. If you want to be, you'll be glad you're Southern Baptist. This is one thing we get right. That, that every penny of this, if you, some of y'all are invested, investment people. You're good at investing. Oh, let me make a suggestion for your stock portfolio. What other place can you give and on it every penny is going to the kingdom of God? What better way to invest than this? No, I don't know of another relief organization that will tell you 100% goes. Well, how can they do that? Because our missionaries on the field. Personnel are in place. That's how they do it. And Jesus said, when, you, when you've done it for the least of these, you, you did it for me. You've got to understand that when we did this today, we did it for Jesus. Someone say amen. We did it for Jesus. Now, you've got to get a hold of this. You've got to get your arms around this. You've got to wrap your mind around this. You've got to wrap your heart around this because it will change how you live your Christian life. When you understand, when you help that person get food or you help that person with no clothes, it's like you're wrapping a robe around Jesus or cooking spaghetti for Jesus. You're helping. Amen? Isn't that incredible? What an opportunity. That's why missionaries will tell you, we're not suffering for Jesus. It's our privilege. Because they understand. In view of that, how could they do less? In view of that, how could they do less? Well, we've got some goats over here. So in verse number 41, he says, Then he all will, say, all will also say to those on the left, Now watch. What do you say to the sheep? Come. Here he says, depart. There he said to the sheep, you're blessed. And here he says, you are cursed. There he says, you're going to eternal fire. And here to the sheep, excuse me, sheep, here to the goats, they say, you're going to eternal fire. Hmm. Can I share something with you? You know, you hear... You hear this thing like, you know, how could a loving God do such and such? How could a loving God allow this? And how could a loving God allow that? And how could a loving God send people to hell? Have you figured out yet that the only way people are sent to hell is they send themselves? In fact, Notice this. There's a little tidbit here that I woke up this morning at 3 o'clock in the morning as I was studying. And, and here's this. 
You are cursed into the eternal fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for me and you. These folks, there's, I guess some of this reformist stuff, this Calvinism stuff, is that certain people are destined to hell. Well, my Bible says that hell wasn't prepared for them. You know, Jesus said, I come and I'm not willing that any, how many, any, how many, any should not perish. I truly believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I will tell you this, if you're here today and you're going, see, this is why I don't go to church, Dwayne. Don't like this fire and brimstone stuff. Let me tell you something. I'm not here to tell you about fire and brimstone. I'm here to tell you about a God who loved you so much. His son, Jesus Christ, bled and died for you. How many friends you've got who will bleed and die for you? This one did. He became your sin that you could become the righteousness of God. And if you wake up someday in a place called hell and you're going, how did I get here? You remember on October the 18th, some little, not fat, but not skinny pastor said, you sent yourself. Too many people say, I don't believe in God. I want nothing from God. I want to be away from God. He's going to answer your prayer. Because without Jesus, you will make heaven. Without Jesus, you will not make heaven. But black, white, green, yellow, rich or poor, regardless of your car that you drive or the address you live at, Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. And he wants to spend eternity eternity with you in a place called heaven. Sounds like love to me. Can I have amen? Sounds like love to me. But these folks, it was too hard. They were, didn't have enough, and they were afraid of what would happen if they helped the Jews or whatever. And uh, he said, I was hungry. You didn't give me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't take me in. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. In prison, you did not take care of me. And then verse 44. They too will answer. I love the way Jesus put that. They too will answer. And they're kind of incredulous too. They don't understand either. Well, Lord, if we'd known it was you, they would say. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll say, hey, by the way, I came by the house. And no one answered the door. And they'll say, oh, pastor, if I knew it was you. The problem was you probably knew it was me. <laughs> the truth was known. Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes, verse 44, or sick in prison and not help you? Look at verse 45. So he will answer them, I assure you, without a doubt, whatever you, now listen, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. Oh. When we didn't do it for them the Jews, in this case, the tribulation, then we didn't do it for Jesus either. Oh, how about that? Now, let me be crystal clear. You, are you listening? I know you're quiet, and that means you're listening, they say. Listen very carefully. Let me be crystal clear. The sheep did not get the blessing Come, you blessed my father, inherit the kingdom. They did not get that because they did something. That was just an indicator 
of what happened in their hearts. They got the blessing because they trusted Jesus and acted like they trusted Jesus. The goats ended up in eternal fire, not because they were bad people. They were probably okay people. But the reason they ended up in hell was because they did not receive Jesus. And guess what? Their lives reflected that. We heard in Sunday school, Charlie, you're up there teaching. I'm going, well, this is going to come out today. How that the biggest God we worship in this world is what? Me. Self. Self. And these goats will go, you're right, I'm not helping those Jews. You know, people who help Jews end up dead. Yeah, they also end up in hell if, if you don't try to help them. Amen? So don't think that the sheep went to heaven because they worked. Because works will not get you anywhere. Since I went to Africa and I'm feeling pretty frisky, watch. That's about as close as to heaven you're going to get with works. About five inches. But with Jesus, it's yours. By grace, it's yours. That's about as far as to heaven or close to heaven as church will get you. Religion will get you. But with grace... It's yours. With Jesus, it's yours. Lord, when did we see you? We don't understand. And then he gets this statement. He goes, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Two destinies. Heaven and hell. Blessings and curse. Which one? What's your, what's your birthmark say? That's why this is so important. I want to touch, and, and my apologies for us running long, but I wouldn't change a thing today because, you know, we, we did a lot of stuff today, but it's all so important. I'm not even going to charge you more for getting long. It's free. Hey, I'm feeling frisky because of Africa. We may take two offerings, but hey. In James chapter 2, most preachers wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. I don't, even want to, I, don't even want to, I don't even want to just touch it. I want to embrace it. Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. He goes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? Now, Again, this isn't, I know it's going to sound like preacherese for going, well, they're really just changing the meaning. No, this is what it means. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have any evidence and he works of that, can that kind of faith save him? In other words, can a faith without evidence be real? Can a faith without evidence be real? Listen, this concept in America that you can pray a prayer sometime and woo get to go to heaven and God never changes your life. There's no evidence whatsoever. You can totally cons be consumed by your world and your universe and you. It's not biblical. I'm sorry, it's not. When the grace of God, you know, I once said, I once said that whatever sin touches dies. 
But whatever grace touches lives. Amen? Whatever grace touches lives. And in your sphere of influence and theology, if, if, if it doesn't involve repentance and change and a different person, if anyone being Christ, Paul wrote, you know, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things will become new. This concept, this idea in America, I can just walk the aisle, shake a preacher's hand, and, and write a check to the church or something and call it salvation. It's false. It's false. Again, I'm not saved because of what I do. But prayerfully, what I do is an evidence that I've been saved. I've been changed. I've been changed. James continues and says, So if you see this brother or sister, and is about clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is that? And the answer is, No. I mean, wouldn't it be weird if we knew that the people in Sudan, Sudan, southern Sudan, were starving to death? And I got up here and said, we're going to have a prayer meeting. That's nice. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds nice. Do you know what sounds better? Take an offering. I remember we were sitting somewhere, gee, where were we? One time and somebody said, you know, I need to move on Saturday. And someone said, we need to pray about it. The other person said, we need a truck. It's time the church quit talking good and start doing good. Again, that is so why we exist. That is so why we exist. A proclamation of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Evidenced through and by reaching out and feeding hungry people and clothing naked people. Evidenced with that. And James says this. In the same way, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James says, show me your faith without works. Now I will show you my faith from my works. Evidenced by my works. You believe that there's one God and you do well. Amen for that. The, the devil, the demons believe and they shudder. In other words, James is saying, you say you believe in God, you believe in God. But the devil does too. The demons do too. So then James says this. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? I'm not afraid of that. I'm just saying that when grace touches your life, there's evidence. I'm trying to tell you. So you may say, so Dwayne, <laughs> what exactly are you trying to do today? Well, are you trying to get more money? I'm all on board for that. I just need to tell you the truth. It would thrill my heart if we collected thirty-five dollars or $40,000 today. Because I know where that money's going. It's going to feed hungry kids. Some kid may not go to bed hungry tonight, including in Saline County, if we're faithful enough. I'm all about raising money for God. But that's not what I'm trying to do. Well, well Dwayne, are you trying to scare me? Right, is that it? You're, you're doing a little of that old fire and brimstone stuff and talking about hell? Are you trying to say, oh, I don't want to go to hell? So, no, that's really not it either. 
In fact, I love 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. No, that's not what I'm trying to do. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to save your life. Can I just be candid with you? I'm trying to save your life. God has enabled us to look into the future and see a judgment that's going to take place, but we have application right here. And again, I asked you at the very beginning of the message, if you had been there and that child was laying there dying, what would you have done? But let's just fast forward. How far? Don't know. At least seven years, we know that, because that's the length of the tribulation. If the rapture happened today, it would start. Count the clock, seven years. But you're in that tribulation now. You've been left behind, but now you have faith in Jesus. You realize that religion was not right, that Jesus was, and you've cried out in repentance and asked Jesus to forgive you, and he has. And all around you is carnage. And you watch the evening news, and it says, anyone harboring a Jew will be killed. Uh, Anyone feeding a Jew will be killed. Again, it's just like the Holocaust. And you've got to decide. What's more important, temporal or eternity, me or them? You got to decide. So I'm trying to save your life. I'm so fearful. So fearful that so many people in churches are good folks. Oh, good people. But there's no evidence. See, I was one of those. That's why I'm not casting rocks. 21 stinking years. 21, October 26th, next Monday. 21 years old. In church all my life. And lost, lost, lost. Because I thought I could do it. I had prayed to prayer three times. I'd been baptized three times. I'd have died, I would have gone to that hell prepared for the devil and his angels, not for me. Try to save your life. What did the man prophet Jesus said? If he gained the whole world and lose his own soul. So, Dwayne, what I do? What a way to end the service. <laughs> what do I do? Well, I told you. The Bible says that every person has sinned and that the wages of sin is death. And then Jesus Christ went to a cross similar to this and became a a piece of meat that's just been put to the grinder. You can imagine how bad it was. Physically, he was more than abused. Spiritually, he became dead and experienced the wrath of God. Because the wages of sin was death, and he paid the price. And then the word of God in that same verse says, But the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And today I want to tell you as your friend, as your pastor, as a pastor, that God has a gift for you. And that gift is forgiveness and eternal life.
And all you've got to do is take it. Oh, yes, that involves turning away from your self-world, your, your simple self, and saying, okay, I'm going this way. This is me. This is what I want. It does mean to repent. That's the biblical word. Turn from that and choose to follow Jesus. I think Mama T sang a song. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's following him. And boy, again, black, white, green, yellow. We, we were restoring Sunday school. That was a hard series, Charlie. This guy produced porn behind his wife's back. How could God forgive him for what he did? But God's amazing grace reached down and radically changed his life. I'm telling you, God's grace is sufficient. No matter what you've got going on in your life, no matter what you've done, whoever I know it or you don't know it, wife knows it, whoever knows it, know it, God's grace is sufficient for and he extends that grace today and says, come. In just a moment, my friend Brent's going to be right down front here. And I'm going to probably, this is one of those times I'll have everybody bow their heads and stuff. Because it's just when you and God. But Brent's got some answers. And we have some friends who've got answers. And we would love to tell you a lot more about Jesus. If you'll give us about five more minutes of your time. We want to tell you all about Jesus. Because this is just too important. This is like life and death. And my brother would like to share with you about God's amazing grace. Not about keeping rules. Not about becoming a badness. Not about joining the church. About God's grace. He wants to share that with you. Now, one more minute. So you say, well, Dwayne, I know I'm a believer, but Dwayne, that bothers me. That bothers me that that fruit is not there. That evidence is not there. Well, that involves repentance too. If you look back in your past, you say, Dwayne, there's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind. There was a point in my life I trusted Jesus. But I have not walked exactly like I should. And guess what? His grace is sufficient for you. Amen? Anybody here stumbled and fell flat on your face before? Aren't you glad for God's amazing grace? But that involves repentance. It means turning away and following Christ. God, I've, I've not walked like I should. Desire. And again, Brent and some folks down here, we'd love to pray with you. This is huge. It's huge because of eternity and what we talked about. It's huge because people, God, wants to use us to touch people, whether through world hunger or judgment house or whatever it might be. God wants to use us. So the king is saying, I've opened the door. Now come. Now come. Would you bow your heads right there? Team, if you'll come forward. This is what we call a decision time. But can I just get old-fashioned with you? This is an invitation. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never experienced that gift we talked about, today is an invitation to come to Jesus. A man who loved you so much, he was nailed to a cross. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'll never leave you, he said, or forsake you. I love that song. I don't know if you've enjoyed it as much as I have. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He loves you. He loves you. If you're here today and you trusted Christ as Savior, but you also know it's kind of easy to slip in that self mode, and maybe today you just need to tell God, time to come home, God, because it's not about me. It's about you and me.
This is our invitation time today. Let me pray. God, thank you so very much for this privilege. And I really do pray this, Father. I'm not saying it for the sake of the people, but so you can hear me say these words. I pray I was faithful to the word today. And Holy Spirit, I am asking you now to do your sweet work in drawing men, women, and children to the Father and to the Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to touch hearts today of those who follow Christ, who are Christians but have not been following you like they should. God, that you'll break us out of that and that we may truly and passionately desire to follow our Savior. Would you please do your work in this midst? And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Now you may keep